Hello, my name is Ben Burrell and welcome back to Bob Dylan Album by Album, a podcast that takes an in-depth look at each Bob Dylan studio recording record by record. We're now on social media, so give us a follow for some bonus bits on each episode and also your chance to vote on what albums we cover on future episodes. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Bob Dylan Podcast. This is episode two and this is all about 1976's Desire. I married Isis on the fifth day of May But I could not hold on to her very long So I cut off my hair and I rode straight away Oh, the wild unknown country where I could not go Recorded in the middle of Dylan's second Purple Patch and co-written with playwright Jacques Levy, this is perhaps Bob's most interesting-sounding record ever. There's just such a wide range of sonic landscapes here, from Mexican to pop to classic rock, not to mention a heavy Eastern European sound, courtesy of violin player Scarlett Riviera, who features on all the tracks, most notably Hurricane, which makes for a stunning album opener and one of its composer's most enduring singles. Riviera's violin sounds so great here. It's so prominent, it almost acts as a second lead vocal answering Dylan's. That's backed up with these thundering cymbal crashes, booming drum fills and guitars that sound like they're being sawn in half as they're played. The subject matter for the song is, of course, the arrest and subsequent incarceration of the boxer, Reuben Hurricane Carter, who was accused of murder in the Lafayette bar shootings. Interestingly, it was Carter who sent Dylan his autobiography from jail, sparking Bob's original interest in the matter. And clearly, he's made up his mind as to what he thinks of the situation. The real strength of the song is there's no holding back whatsoever. Dylan names names, most of the time full names. He throws around accusations and dismisses testimony, which, given the fact that Carter was in jail at the time, sentenced by a US judge, feels like quite a revolutionary act. In fact, the record label Columbia asked Dylan to change some of the lyrics after legal concerns were raised about the accusations, causing a complete re-record of the song in October 75 after much of the album had been finished. This altered version, though, still really packs a punch, if you excuse the terrible pun. Dylan gives us one of the best vocal deliveries of his entire career. Lyrics are sung with such venom as he spits out lines like Reuben Carter and a couple of friends driving round, number one contender for the middleweight crown, had no idea what kind of shit was about to go down. Unusually for Bob, we get a swear word, but it's deployed so well at such a critical point of the story, it actually really ends up adding to the song rather than becoming a novelty. It really helps to bring that sense of impending doom to Carter. The song elsewhere features Dylan dropping the N-word. Whether or not that sits well with you in 2018 is probably a separate issue. 
For what it's worth, I think, given the subject matter of this particular song in this particular racial context, it's a different issue to other songs that have historically used it. That aside, it creates a really interesting moment in the tune itself, where the band ever so slightly fall out of time at the end of verse 9, almost at the impact of the word. He was a revolutionary bird. As for the black folks, he was just a crazy nigger. No one doubted that he pulled the trigger. Whether that is true, planned, or, as I suspect, unplanned, we don't know. But it does create a moment of realness and chaos that really adds to the narrative of the track. Elsewhere on Desire, there's another biographical song, track six, Joey, which details the life of gangster Crazy Joey Gallo, which, even now, 40-plus years later, still feels like a strange curveball. Born in Red Hook, Brooklyn, in the year of a who knows when. Opened up his eyes to the tune of an accordion. Originally an idea from Levy, this is a slightly more problematic song compared to Hurricane. Whilst it wouldn't be hard to find supporters who echo Dylan's sentiments on Reuben Carter, it would be difficult to say the same for Joey. The song was written in an entire night, with inspiration coming after Dylan met Gallo's friend, the actor Jerry Orbach, and his wife Marta, who recalled stories of the gangster. Dylan commented in 75 that he considered Gallo more of a hero than a gangster, and that really becomes the basis for the song. He's very much painted as the hero of the piece. These comments were met with contempt from critics, fans and pretty much the general public. This is all due to Gallo's well-documented violent past, which is obviously an issue, but there's a reason I feel this glorification is present within the context of this album. For me, Desire is a record of outlaws, fugitives, travellers and the mysterious. Take track two, Isis, for example. We hear from a recently married vagabond on a quest for treasure for his new wife. And elsewhere, in Romance in Durango, a fugitive and his lover are on the run and we also get a name check for Pancho Villa, a Mexican revolutionary. Through the eyes or filter of Desire, with these songs narrated by these vagabonds, Joey would be a hero and not a villain. Away from the subject matter, musically, the track is a good example of that wide-ranging sonic landscape I mentioned earlier. We hear sounds not commonly associated with Bob's records. There's a really nice tremolo guitar sound mixed in with a dreamy accordion and, once again, an abundance of Riviera's violin. We also get a performance from legendary vocalist Emma Lou Harris, who contributes a number of backing vocals to the record. Here, though, she acts as the perfect foil for Dylan, adding a haunting vocal line that really helps to make the song's chorus. over 11 minutes, this is an epic journey through Gallo's life. It's quite the story, and it might be the best example of Bob's collaboration with Levy, who, as a playwright, really helps Dylan to carve out a proper story within his songs. Levy recalls his involvement with Dylan in an interview, stating, Bob had heard the lyrics I'd written for Chestnut Mare with the Birds, and I think he liked the idea that I could tell a story in a song. Bob isn't really that great at telling a story. He doesn't go from A to B to C to D. He's got a lot of good stuff, but it doesn't usually add up to a story. 
that almost becomes the secret weapon for this record. Levy really puts structured stories into these songs, particularly Joey with its film-like biopic narrative, and elsewhere too on the disaster tale of track eight, Black Diamond Bay, and the aforementioned Fool's Errand on track two, Isis. All these vignettes continue that vagabond, mysterious travelling theme I mentioned earlier, but crucially, the instrumentation of the songs also acts as the perfect backdrop too. Take track four, One More Cup of Coffee, for example. It has exotic production that really colours the lyrical story with yet another violin part, some finger symbols, and lyrics about jewels and seeing the future. This feeling of a mysterious travelling community that's found on so many of these songs might be down to a trip that Dylan took to the south of France for his birthday. He's quoted as saying he went to a gypsy festival. There, Dylan claims he got mixed up with a man who had maybe 16 to 20 wives and over 100 children. That free spirit idea even appears to inform the album's recording process itself. Riviera recounts being asked to join the sessions by Dylan on the Lower East Side in Manhattan. She tells a great story about a car pulling up and a shadowy figure asking her if she could play the violin she was holding. She said, yes, I play. I play good. And Dylan hired her on the spot. It was a similar story for Levy too, who bumped into Dylan in a Greenwich Village street. That chance meeting led to one of the most important collaborations on the entire album. This idea of picking people up and taking them along for the ride was even continued onto the tour either side of the record, the now infamous Rolling Review Tour, which almost becomes the visual representation for these songs. In fact, in my opinion, the Riviera meeting and her involvement in the album is crucial. She becomes such an important muse. She almost embodies the record's themes. She has long flowing red hair adding to a mysterious look and she talks in interviews of mythological journeys and stars aligning. She even appears to inform Dylan's headspace for the recording. She says he began adopting a character during the sessions. She describes a gypsy musician named Danny who just got off the boat from Hungary who Dylan would consume during the creative process. Riviera gives one of her best performances on track five, Oh Sister. Listen to once again how prominent her violin is throughout. It acts as a third vocal with Dylan in the middle, Harris in one ear and the violin in the other. What's a big win about this track and the album in general is how producer Don DeVito makes sure this exotic instrumentation that runs throughout these songs never verges on parody or imitation. The tracks have an authenticity about them that can be lacking when an artist adopts a different style in this way. This is particularly done well on track 7, Romance in Durango, which is possibly the album's most stylized song. No, This authenticity is captured despite some more than chaotic recording sessions. Dylan kept several studios going at once, filled with musicians waiting to go, including at one stage Eric Clapton. Bassist Bob Stoner remembers having adjacent studios opened up to accommodate all these hangers-on. He says it was like a huge party and not a lot of work was getting done. 
Eventually, the rooms were cleared and a core group cut the entire album over two long nights on July the 30th and the 31st, with a small amount of overdubs happening on August the 11th and that re-record of Hurricane coming later in the year. This eventual-focused approach served the album well and even produced some more pop-sounding songs. Track 3, Mozambique, sounds like one of those Dylan tunes that was covered by a chart act in the 60s. It has a rich melody and a gliding bass that offers a moment of lightness and actually ends up being relentlessly catchy. While we still have the instrumentation found elsewhere on the album and a fleeting reference to Mozambique gaining independence in June of 75, this is much more of a playful song and was apparently born out of Dylan and Levy trying to come up with as many rhyming words for the country as possible. This playful feeling is carried over onto the music on track 8, Black Diamond Bay, with its plodding, almost country-like bass sound and more elaborate drum fills, not to mention its big sing-along hook. Phil, that line about the Soviet ambassador is just there because it rhymes with floor. We don't actually hear from him at any other point during the song. That aside, the story behind the song is less playful than the music suggests, and it's perhaps only one of two departures from the album's main themes. We're told a story of an island being torn apart by a volcano explosion. This doesn't appear to be based on any real-life event, but around the time of recording, the Sofrier volcano in St Vincent was showing the earliest signs of becoming active again and did indeed explode in 1979, having previously erupted at the turn of the century, killing over a 1,000 people, which could have been some inspiration for Dylan and Levy. During the song, we meet some of the characters caught up in the disaster, like a woman wearing a necktie and a Panama hat, a soldier and a tiny man involved in a transaction, and the Greek who ends up hanging himself. There's some great dramatic moments, particularly when the woman is trying to get into the Greek's room while the disaster is imminent. Dylan sings, I've got to talk to someone quick, but the Greek said go away, and he kicks the chair to the floor. He hung there from the chandelier. She cried, help, there's danger near, please open up the door. Then the volcano erupted and the lava flowed down from the mountain high above. The soldier and the tiny man were crouched in the corner thinking of forbidden love. But the desk clerk said it happens every day as the stars fell down and the fields burned away on Black Diamond Bay. I've got to talk to someone quick But the Greek said go away to kick the chair to the floor He hung there from the chandelier She cried to help Every day. 
finally, at the end of the song, we hear from the narrator, who's watching the news report of the incident at home in LA. It's a really powerful conclusion because, as a listener, you've become caught up in these characters stuck in this nightmare, only to then hear the narrator blow it off like it's not a big deal. Dylan sings, I was sitting at home alone one night in LA, watching old Cronkite on the 7 o'clock news. It seems there was an earthquake that left nothing but a Panama hat and a pair of old Greek shoes. Didn't seem like much was happening, so I turned it off and went to grab another beer. Seems like every time you turn around, there's another hard luck story you're going to hear, and there's really nothing anyone can say, and I never did plan to go anyway to Black Diamond Bay. I was sitting home alone one night In L.A. watching old croquet on the 7 o'clock news It seems there was an earthquake that Left nothing but a Panama hat and a barrel of great shoes It didn't seem like much was happening So I turned it off and went to grab another beer it's important to note the song has a lot of parallels with Joseph Conrad's novel Victory, which could have offered some inspiration. You really feel once again this is Levy in full swing with Dylan, installing that sterner narrative structure that really works well and brings a forceful impact to the song's final verse that otherwise might have lacked a dramatic punchline. While the song is a departure from a lot of others on the album, there's still a very desire feel to it. There's references to an exotic landscape and travel and those finger symbols, heavy violin presence and Harris's backing vocals that all dominate the song. That's something we also get on album closer Sarah. This is the only overtly autobiographical moment from Dylan on the entire record. In fact, possibly his most autobiographical moment ever. He told us many times that his previous album, Blood on the Tracks, wasn't about his breakup with his wife, Sarah, which may or may not be true. But here, he's left us in no doubt. Sarah, Sarah, whatever made you want to change your mind? That lyric of being so easy to look at and so hard to define is almost achingly personal. In fact, the whole song is almost achingly personal. We get a glimpse of family holidays with their children playing on the beach and even a reference to Dylan writing Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands for Sarah. Before, in the final verse, we hear lines about that beach now being deserted and that kind of dream almost being over. Now the beach is deserted Except for some kelp And a piece of an old ship That lies on the shore You always responded When I needed your help You gave me a map And a key to your door Sarah, Sarah Glamorous nymph With an arrow and bow Sarah, Sarah Don't ever leave me Don't ever go 
It's classic Dylan to front everyone out and write a song so incredibly personal after all the talk given the content of Blood on the Tracks. It's almost like he's putting no doubt as to what the subject matter is to avoid any scrutiny. This makes for a really powerful song that neither wallows in self-pity or gets caught up in finger-pointing. It just paints the picture of a marriage coming to an end, which becomes even more vivid when we hear that Dylan performed the track to Sarah over Talkback during the recording sessions. Despite being a good song, it does feel like a slight anomaly to end the album on. It doesn't stop Desire being a journey full of twists and turns, mystery, intrigue and the exotic. Bob finished a successful period with a fascinating, encapsulating record. He managed to walk the line of pleasing his fan base with signature Dylan songs whilst also doing something new at the same time. In many ways, it was the perfect record for this point of his career and today can be viewed as one of his best. Thank you for listening to me talk about this weird yet wonderful album. And also thanks for your comments on episode one, Oh Mercy, more than appreciated. If you haven't done so already, please give us a review on iTunes. Also give us a rating, five stars or four stars would be good. No need to go any lower than that whatsoever. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we are now on social media, so please let me know your thoughts on Desire and the issues that were raised in this podcast. And also, we're going to put up a vote very shortly as to what album we cover in episode three. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bob Dylan Podcast, and episode three will be out next week. Until then, goodbye, and thank you once again for listening.